Our presentation this morning is, is called Family INC. Now, it's kind of a play on words, um, but Family INC, INC is an acronym, which we'll be exploring in the next uh, few minutes. But it's, it's a play on words because our objective here this morning is to explore, to, to explore and give you a picture of what a truly functional family looks like and what a truly functional family can accomplish. Uh, a fully functional, spiritually mature, emotionally connected, service-oriented family. That, that's a mouthful. But we fully believe that the, the, the tasks that God has given to families are a mouthful. They're a life full. And so that's what we want to explore this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to start with a statement, which I believe is um, perhaps the understatement of the year. And that is, the family was meant to work. Now, before you, you know, before you lock that out or, or immediately block it out as some, you know, something overly cheesy, something overly, let me... Let me tell you exactly what I mean by that. When I say the family was meant to work, I mean it in both senses. One, the family was designed to function properly. Even that is up for contest these days. As you know, you, many times you've probably heard, as I have, as I have heard, um, you know, a, a, a poor mother stressed out by her two or three year olds just at her wits end and she might be commiserating with some friend of hers and, and maybe the friend would say something to the effect of oh but he's a two year old so you know what better can you expect well <laughs> it, it is true that you can I guess expect some trials from a two year old however I want to challenge that that is the norm um, I want to challenge that that's God's intention. The family was designed to work. If there's something in the family that's not working, then we should do something about it. And that sometimes is easier said than done, but there are ways to follow the, the blueprint that God has given us uh, to pursue a family that works. Now, I'm having some difficulty. Um, my keynote comes and it goes, and it comes and it goes. Oh, you know what it is? It's this pop-up. It's this inter instant internet thing. Um, I also mean that the family was meant to work in another sense. And that was, not only is it designed, it's supposed to function properly, it is also designed to accomplish a very specific task. Now that very specific task is glorious, and that's part of what we'll be exploring in the next hour, so I won't give away too many of the secrets. But even as you sit here now and as we start, I can, I can imagine some of you thinking, some of you saying, you know, I know all, all of this is true, um, but you don't understand our situation. That, that's, that's partially true. We can't understand every person's situation. Of course, we don't know you all. However, there are some things that we do understand. There are some problems that are common to all families, including ours, and it is those that we want to look at today. And, and we, 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 wanna, we want to open up a realization today that we're all in this together. And if we stand together, given the principles that God has given us, we can be victorious, every one of us. It's not about how you started this race. It's about how you finish. 
Now, do you know these people? Some of you know these people. This was the crew of STS-107, NASA's uh, a scientific mission that NASA uh, conducted. They were, they were a shuttle crew. They took off with probably the longest, uh, the longest scientific to-do list of any shuttle mission up to that point and possibly since. They were going to conduct a, a huge number of international experiments in space for the purpose of furthering science, obviously, and a few other things. Uh, the, the gentleman on the far right was Israel's first astronaut. And so this was an international venture. And it took off with high hopes of success. That's the picture of the actual takeoff. Now, I don't know about you, but in our house, we have some serious space enthusiasts that were very, very, very distressed to see this shuttle program end. So this has meaning to us. But anyway, off they went. They were in space for 16 days. And at the end of their mission, time to come home. They were all excited. Mission control on the ground. Um, Houston and, of course, in... Um, in Florida as well, all were preparing for what was supposed to be the perfect wind down to a perfect mission, all, all, all of their mission accomplished, in a sense. Well, all was going fine. Uh, they entered the atmosphere over the Indian Ocean, crossed the Pacific, crossed the West Coast. And from the perspective of those on the ground and from the perspective of those in the cockpit of the orbiter, Nothing was going wrong. In fact, everything was right on schedule, right on target, as they made their descent towards home. But then some numbers started looking a little bit odd to mission control. And uh, they, they, they communicated, oh, we've lost, we've lost um, the readings on a hydraulic sensor on the left side of the, of the aircraft. Um, and the readings went off the scale low. So they assumed, aha, the sensor's gone bad, because clearly nothing goes off scale low. But then a few minutes later, they lost tire pressure on the left side as well. And as Houston communicated what they thought was just another anomaly to the orbiter, flight control to, to the Columbia, they got a broken response that disappeared halfway through the sentence. Roger, but. And in the moments, the tense moments that followed as ground control, the flight director, and those at mission control tried to get a hold of their friends in the orbiter, they started to understand that perhaps something had gone wrong. Perhaps something had gone terribly, terribly wrong. And in the now famous words of the flight director on the, on the ground, and, the, and his, his sidekick, the, um, the communications man, they, they tried repeatedly over the next few minutes. Columbia Houston, UHF ground check, comm check. Columbia Houston, UHF comm check, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then in the now famous words, GC flight, GC flight, Flight GC, lock the doors. What they came to understand is what we now know. The orbiter had been lost. 
entering the atmosphere, and all that was left is the 40,000 pieces that they have recovered, only 30%, spread over a multitude of states. The weather radar picked up this red smear, which is just, um, it's debris in the atmosphere. All that was left of STS-107. Now, the Columbia Accident Investigation Board, when they published their official memo on the subject said, quote, Columbia had entered the atmosphere with a pre-existing fault. And that pre-existing fault had cost the orbiter its structural integrity and cost seven of our greatest, smartest astronauts their lives. Now, why do I tell you this story? I tell you this story for a purpose. And that is we and you have entered the atmosphere with a pre-existing fault. But there is one very major difference between our story and Columbia's story. In the case of Columbia, the existing fault was created only seconds after takeoff when a piece of foam came off of the orbiter, punched a hole in the wing, and doomed them to certain tragedy on the way home. But we have grace on our side. Amen. And until the actual moment of complete and total failure and breakup and death, we have the opportunity as families and as individuals to reverse the process of that pre-existing fault. Are you thankful for grace? Amen. I am thankful for grace. And I'm going to tell you here, we stand before you as a family today thankful for grace. And not just thankful for what grace has accomplished, but thankful for what grace yet accomplishes on a daily basis in our family because we need our God if we're going to land this mission. Friends, it doesn't matter, as I have said before, how you started. It doesn't matter how your, how your takeoff, how your mission Grace is on our side. It matters, it matters how you land this bird. And we believe with 110% of our hearts that this mission can be successful for each and every one of you sitting in this room, that for each and every one of us, for our family as well. So in the next few minutes, we want to explore family INC. Just a cute, uh, cute acronym in, in a sense. I stands for invest. N stands for nurture. C stands for commence. These three steps, in a sense, if followed, we believe are, are able to set a family up for the ultimate success, the ultimate purpose for which God has created us, for which he has put us on this world, which is not just to have a sweet little happy family, have a great time, you know, kids grow up and get married so they can have a little sweet little family and have a great time but rather to accomplish something. I believe that there is something on this earth, there is, a, there, is a, there is a work given families that can't be accomplished any other way. In fact, very briefly as we, as we launch into invest, we know that, you know, um, inspiration tells us 
that one well-ordered, well-disciplined family does more on behalf of you know, the gospel than, than all the sermons that can be preached. That tells me more than the family is a gospel tool. It tells me the family is a primary gospel tool. Because I don't know about you, but I consider a sermon a primary gospel tool. So if a family can do more in behalf of Christianity than a thousand sermons, I think it's a tragedy when a family doesn't. In fact, if a family can do that much good to the gospel, I think there's a fair chance that a, a family can also do that much damage when we don't take up the, the work that God has given to us. So in the next few minutes, as, as different ones of my family members come up, we want to explore in more depth what it means to invest, what it means to nurture, and then what it means to commence so that we can actually fulfill the commission, so that we can actually accomplish the work that has been set before us to do. So as we consider the mission of our families and what God would have our families to do, we recognize that there are many phases of a mission. If you've ever flown an airplane, you know that takeoff is certainly important. Staying in the air is certainly important, and landing is certainly important. So as we share with you our experiences, we want you to be encouraged as you go forward looking at the various phases of where your family is or where you would like your family to be as you consider what God would have you to do. So the first thing we want to talk about is that family success requires a mindset, a mindset of long-term investment. What's a mindset? A mindset is basically something that is an inclination. You have a mindset to do a certain thing, an inclination. But it is more than an inclination. It's also something that carries with it intentionality. For example, you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off very quickly. You're inclined to get upset. That would be a normal human response. How dare they? What is their problem? But we can also carry with us the intentionality of saying, not my will, Lord, but thy will be done. How would you have me to respond? Do you understand the difference? So a mindset can be something that is at the mercy of circumstance but it can also carry with it a decision, a choice, to be intentional about how we respond. Also, it has an aspect of it of long-term investment. You know, we come here to ASI, many of us with different backgrounds, but many of us come here with experience in business. Well, in business, what is your intention? To fail? No, it is to succeed. In order to succeed, you have to have something to give, a product, a product that people want. And we also come here with ministry backgrounds. So what is your intention with ministry? But to serve. But how do we want to serve? Do we want to give poor service? Is that the kind of ministry that we want? Not at all. So we come here to ASI with an intention of learning how to share Christ in the marketplace, giving a service and also a product. Well, the same commitment that it takes to have a successful business is what it takes to have success in our families. You see, what it requires, first of all, is passion. We have a half a passion for excellence. You know, what, what is it that distinguishes the product that we have if we're a business person? Or what is it that distinguishes the service that we give if we're a ministry? What distinguishes us as Christians? 
what distinguishes us as Seventh-day Adventists. How is it that the world sees us? What are we doing? We believe that we need to have a passion to love God and to love our families and to share that passion with others. But this cannot be achieved without priority. And I have to tell you, this is where I had great difficulty. In the early years of our children's growth, quite frankly, I saw my role as, as a clinician, I'm a physician, I saw my role as being one of service to the community, the patients that I took care of. And I put a lot of time and a lot of effort. I invested a lot of time and effort in doing this. But I did not see my family as a priority, to be very honest with you. So in the early years of our family's life, I, even when I was at home, I wasn't at home. Do you understand what I mean? My mind was somewhere else. I was thinking of that patient. I was thinking of that circumstance. I was thinking about the resident that I needed to deal with, et cetera, et cetera. And I was giving very short attention to my family. Here is what I learned. How do you know where you're placing your priorities? It's very simple. Where are you investing most of your time? And where are you investing most of your energy? It's not difficult for us to see that if you're a mother with young children, and you're absorbed, your whole day is absorbed in the care of your children, that is so because that's your priority. That's what you choose your priority to be. You could also have the same children and completely ignore them. Let them be completely on their own. Let them feed themselves at two years of age. Do you understand? You would not do that. But my point is, we place our priorities. We do it all the time. Now the question and the challenge that comes to us is, are we assessing where we're placing our priorities. You know, if you're in business and you're wanting to sell a product, you're going to want to know, get feedback from your competition to know how well are you doing so that more will want what you have to give. We should be just as critical, if you will, in self-evaluating how we minister to others and where we're placing our priorities, our priorities in time and resources. The third thing that we need to do is to be prepared. You know, the discipline of applying principles as we understand it in God's word will help to direct us as we seek to balance the priorities that we have in our lives so that one day, one day, we will hear at the end, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you, what do you want to hear at the end? Do you want to hear, you've done good, you made a billion? Is that what you want to hear? What is the, where's the reward going to be? Well done. You have saved tens of thousands of souls. Are these important things? Absolutely. But do you want to hear, where's your flock? That flock I gave you. Do you want to hear the words, well done? That's what I want. So I had to make some decisions as I looked at where I placed my priorities. And I had to sort of rearrange them. I had to ask myself the hard questions. What is the end product that I want? As a result of that, I had to recognize that I needed to provide leadership in my home. There are several ways that we can provide leadership. We can do it by dictating, you will do what I say. Or we can do it the way that Christ would do it, the kind of servant leadership. You know, let's just say, just for example, you want your children to have a clean room. 
we all want our children to have a clean room. But if they look at my room, and my room is not orderly, what kind of an example am I giving to my children? Servant leadership is the kind of leadership that does not just look at the outcome, the behavior, but it looks at the heart. You know, I have to tell you very honestly, it was a challenge for me because I'm okay on outcomes. I want a behavior. Don't do that. Don't hit your sister. I want that. But what are they seeing in me? Do they see me loving my wife? Do they see how I handle my irritations when they arise? The kind of servant leadership where we do as Jesus would do and model it for our children is what helps to prepare them to have the kind of family that we're talking about. The reality of it is, fathers, that our mothers, and I'm speaking to fathers now because uh, I'm a dad and I can talk to dads. You know, our, our, our families, our wives, our children need more than our paycheck. Not to say that that is not an important thing to provide for our families. What they need from us is for us to be engaged, to give a priority to the things that are essential to have a well-ordered family. They need to see that we have a passion for God and a commitment for serving Him first and foremost in our homes, which is our primary workplace. They need to see us giving priority to placing attention and passion for the hearts of our children and helping them and training them to be prepared to become secure, godly, successful, happy men and women who love God and love one another. So we just want to share from you today the steps that we have found. By no means are they exclusive, and we continue to learn how to reprioritize. Let me tell you, it's an ongoing process in order for us to achieve that happy family that we wish, all wish to have. You know, I learned um, early on in our journey with the Lord, I learned how um, effective God's methods are. Male leadership in our families, in our homes, is God's design. It's God's idea. And in those early years, the Lord placed us under the influence um, of, of people and uh, happenings and circumstances that put a burden in our hearts for, for the desire, for the longing, that hunger and thirst for righteousness and that desire to raise a godly family. But unbeknownst to me, although my husband was telling me, yes, this is what we need to do, his heart was only partly engaged. And friends, it wasn't until um, after years passed and we had a crisis in our lives that my husband's heart became fully engaged. And then the difference from that point on was remarkable. The, the, the progress that we made in our in our quest to grow in grace, to draw near to the Lord, was remarkable. Now, having said that, I want to also say that ladies, uh, well, first of all, knowing that, ladies, if you don't have a husband that is engaged, who has a heart for God and a heart for his family, don't do what I did for quite some time. Don't nag him. It will not help, but pray for him. There is power in prayer. And I wish I could tell you this is not, what I'm saying is not in my notes, but 
um, it was amazing to see what happened when I took my attention away from my husband and put it on my own heart, when I realized my own frailty and, and my own influence in the home and made a full commitment to the Lord, regardless of what my husband would do from that point on, made a commitment to follow him, to love my husband, to love uh, our children, to love the Lord above all things, and um, learn to take hold of his grace, to obey what he was calling to my heart to do. And having said all of that, let me tell you that we have a God who is a mighty savior. So if you have and continue to have, in spite of your prayers, a husband that is disengaged or that is completely absent from the home, God can make up the difference. He knows your situation. He remembers that we are dust. And he can be a husband to the wife who doesn't have a husband. He can add those um, mothering skills to a husband who is a single parent and doesn't have a mother um, in the home to mother his children. So based on everything that Edwin shared with us, it is clear that raising a family um, successfully by heaven's standards requires investment. Uh, It requires a mom or a dad or ideally both who are engaged, who have a passion for God, who have a vision of God's purpose uh, for the family, a vision, who are keeping the goal um, in mind, in sight. What is God's purpose for the family? Have you asked that? Have you studied that? Do you have a vision of that? We are told that God intended for the family tie to be the closest the sweetest, the most tender and sacred on earth. He intends for the home to be a place of love, of peace, of light and joy, of sympathy and tenderness. He wants the members of the family to find unconditional love, forgiveness, a strong sense of identity and fulfillment and purpose for life. He intends for godly families to be, quote, a light in the community. The most powerful sermon that, was, that can be preached, as Sean referred to, the most, uh, an argument that the infidel cannot gainsay, a source from which flow streams of healing to a sin-sick, hurting world. What a high calling. What a glorious purpose, how beautiful. Now, let me ask you a question. How can we, how can we parents who are sinners, we are clearly sinners in need of a savior, how can we fulfill that glorious purpose? We can't. We can't, we are powerless to do it apart from the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the wisdom and power of a God and compassionate Father who is mighty to save. The life-changing power of the gospel can transform our families. But we need to allow that redeeming power to begin working first in our own individual hearts and families. So here we have the outline. 
we have talked about the investment that it, that it takes to accomplish this task. Um, and as we make that investment and continue to make that investment seriously every day, we become prepared to nurture. Effective nurturing occurs in the context of a positive love relationship between parent and child. And Natasha is going to go more into that, so I won't go so much into that, that portion of, um, of nurturing. Uh, so I'm going to jump right into diligent teaching, diligent teaching by precept and example. God has entrusted parents with the sacred responsibility of educating and training our children for him. And here's the goal, to transform this helpless and apparently insignificant being into a blessing to the world and an honor to God is a great and grand work. Parents should allow nothing to come between them and the obligation they owe to their children. Child Guidance, page, page 264. Do you hear investment in this? Do you hear priority in this? Absolutely. Our, our duty has been clearly outlined for us in Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 7. And thou shalt do what? Love. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, thy soul and with all thy might. And these words that I command you today shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. What do we teach? We teach everything all of the principles from God's word. Our standard is the word of God. It is not human uh, wisdom. We are to judge everything, everything that, that we do, every practice, every experience, every habit that we allow ourselves to, um, to shape in, in our homes and with our families, everything should be judged by the standard of God's word. Every moment of family life is potentially a teaching moment. In order to be teachers, though, we have to be constant learners. There is widespread ignorance, friends, even among God's people, of the principles that should govern um, the decisions that we make the, the, the actions that we take in our, in our daily lives, including the principles involved in teaching our children um, something that's been lost, respect and reverence. Respect and reverence for God's authority over our lives. Respect and, and reverence for the authority of parents, the God-given authority of parents. The Bible and inspired writings that we are so blessed to have abound with practical instruction to parents. Instructions that can help parents exercise God-given wisdom and not just our own ideas to set appropriate boundaries while avoiding the ditches that exist on both sides 
of the straight and narrow path, the ditch of permissiveness that essentially means we are placing our, our children, our children's souls in the care of the enemy of their souls, or the ditch of harsh discipline that only manages to arouse evil passion and sows the seeds of rebellion in the hearts of our children. So um, every moment of family life is a teaching moment. We need to be learners. The word of God is our guide, is our standard. But we are teaching by precept and example. And as much as, much as um, our teaching from the word is um, extremely important, extremely crucial, our teaching, our efforts to teach are fruitless if we are not exemplifying our teaching in our own lives. Here's a, a passage, and, and somehow I missed where this is found, but it is from Ellen White, and she says, if parents desire to see a different state of things in their families, let them, what, preach to their children? What do you suppose she says? Let them preach to their children? Let them discipline? Let them punish? No. Let them consecrate themselves fully to God and cooperate with him in the work whereby a transformation may take place in their households. And if you want to know where that is, see me later, and I'll look it up for you. Friends, our relentless pursuit of God, our changing lives are the most powerful argument to persuade our children to embrace Christianity. Our intimacy with God results in lives that are daily growing to reflect the beauty, the grace, the love, and character of God. This makes the charms of Christ attractive to our children. Our godly lives constitute the most compelling reason that convinces our children that Christianity offers the happiest, the fullest, the smartest, the richest life that they could choose to live. So our top priority in, in seeking to pass down our values to our children is to cultivate intimacy with God ourselves, to cultivate a love for the word and ask daily for a hunger and thirst for righteousness ourselves. In 17, John 17, um, 10, 19, Jesus said, as he was praying for his disciples, he said, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they might also be sanctified through the truth. Friends, parents, sanctifying ourselves is the highest investment that we can make in our children's salvation. Even, even if you are past that point, if, if, they're, if your children are grown, they're no longer in your home, they're not walking with the Lord and you have a broken heart, even so, the highest investment that you can make is to sanctify yourself. We are promised that our prayers avail much. So the testimony of our mouth should match the growing testimony of our lives. Now, does this mean that we as parents need to be perfect in order to influence our children for God? Does that mean that? I can tell you that if it meant that, we would have no business being up here because we fail. 
We will often fail. We have. We have often failed, but when we fall, we humble ourselves. We have learned that our children are actually very forgiving. If we humble ourselves before God and our children and we ask for God's forgiveness in theirs, in so doing, we are uh, role modeling the humbleness of mind that we need to set aside our agenda. We all need to learn this. As parents and as children, we need to be able to set, a, set aside our ideas um, and display the humility that allows us to learn to surrender to the perfect will of our God. Young people detest hypocrisy. They easily discern the discrepancy between what we say we should be, what we say should be done, and what we actually are, what we actually do. When we fail um, to humble ourselves and experience the mercy, um, the mercy and the grace of God and show our children that we are, we are cheating them of a lesson that they need to learn in order to have a successful walk with God. When we humble ourselves, when we, um, anytime that we fail, anytime that we fail and we humble ourselves, we experience that mercy and the grace and forgiveness of God and the Savior becomes more precious to us. Have you, have you noticed that? That when you fail and you confess your sins and you are forgiven, the Savior is more precious? Well, by the same token, as he becomes more precious to us, he becomes more precious to our children who witness firsthand the work of grace in our lives. Here's another, another passage. The soul that responds to the grace of God shall be like a watered garden. His health shall spring forth speedily. His light shall rise in obscurity and the glory of the Lord shall be seen upon him. That's from Desire of Ages 348. So our lifestyle, our lives should be a perpetual living example of what we want our children to, to embrace. Everything that we allow in our lives, everything that we do should promote spiritual sensitivity. We should shun everything that lessens our desire for God and our children should witness us. Uh, doing that. Our lifestyle should communicate godly priorities. We, um, we can do that on a daily basis. And as we are working for God, as we are invested, as we are seeking the word to, to govern the way that we live our lives, we can work for God and we can put our children to work for God right alongside us. Okay, so um, we're still under nurture. My mother talked about, oh, the outline's not there. How do I function this thing? Uh, my mother talked about the, the engaged parents and the um, diligent teaching. And I want to talk to you briefly for a moment about uh, real relationships, which was the last point under nurture. Family success requires a commitment to constant nurture. Mother was mentioning that. 
This is a quote by Mike Myatt in Forbes magazine. This is for those of you who are in business or who are in management of ministry. This makes sense to you. It says, if you want to shorten your shelf life as a CEO, it's easy to do. Be uninformed and disengaged. That's from Forbes magazine. And for us, we look at that and we think, well, yeah, that, that looks obvious, right? Obviously, if you're uninformed and disengaged, you're going to shorten your shelf life as a CEO. But the same principle survives in the family. If you want to shorten your family's shelf life, be uninformed and disengaged, because that unfortunately very frequently describes the condition of family members. Do you know your spouse's or your child's or your sibling's or your parents' top three likes and dislikes, the top three places they want to go, the top three people they want to meet, the top three things they want to experience in life. Do you know those things? Could you sit down and tell somebody else all those details about your family members? If not, chances are you are not informed enough. And chances are 99.9% .9 that somebody else does know. And then that other person has that much more power to nurture the friend, you know, the child, the, the sibling, whatever. Your power to nurture is directly proportionate to how informed and engaged you are. If you are informed and engaged, you have a lot of power to nurture that person. And the same thing comes to me as I was even preparing this message. I was like, you know what? The, the past couple months have been extremely, extremely, extremely hectic in our family as we're preparing for my sister's wedding and whatnot. It's been extremely hectic, and we have not had the amount of family time that we have been accustomed to having. And as I was preparing this, I was like, you know, if I'm going to say, do you know your, you know your family members' top three likes and dislikes, I actually stop to think, do I know my family's top three likes and dislikes? And the truth is, I do know most of them. However, over the past couple months, I have not spent enough time with my family to be up to date on all that. So I'm going back to the, back to the drawing board on that one, because the more we know about our family, the more invested we are in our family. So what's a nurture? Under real relationships, relationship with God and relationship with family. It says in Psalms 127, verse 1, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it, right? So in other words, if, we, if we're trying to build this happy, successful, you know, excellent family, but we don't bring God into the very foundation of the home, it's going to be a failure. So building a relationship with God is the bottom line in all the, all the individual's experience in the family. Jeremiah 9, 24a, says, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he what? Understandeth and knoweth me. How is it possible to understand God? Well, to some extent, you know, our, our finite minds are only capable of so much, but at the same time, God is saying it is possible to be informed about God, to be engaged with God, to understand and know him. So in other words, knowing God, understanding God has to be the foundations, the walls, the roof of every every, every home, which means that time with God is foundational and it is of superlative importance. When we were growing up, my parents had a very strong, still do have a very strong commitment to spending time with God every morning. And it didn't matter if we were traveling, it did not matter where we were, what we were doing, how busy the day was. My parents did spend time with God that morning in the Bible and in prayer. And they never came across like, oh, you must have to do this and do that. It wasn't in a legalistic way. I remember my mom, she still says this a lot, but all the way through my growing up years, when we would have prayer in the morning together, she would say, Lord, we come to you as sinners 
in need of a savior. She says that all the time, still. And so as children, it came across to us, this is necessary. This is incredibly necessary. We're all little sinners. And we need a savior, very much. And the importance my parents placed on that, the moral of the story came across to little Natasha, you know what? God is the most important thing in every day. So if we don't accomplish our to-do list, we spent time with God. If we did accomplish our to-do list and we didn't spend time with God, it was always clear to me that that was not acceptable. The amount of time that we spend speaks loudly to our family members, and I think especially the amount of time that parents spend with God speaks loudly to their children about how important God is and the value that the parents place on God. And the children are not likely, it does happen once in a while by a miracle of grace, but the children are not likely to place more value on God than the parents do. So if the parents want to see intense value for God in the children, the parents need to display intense value for God themselves. Secondly, not just time with God, secondly, how is God portrayed in the family? How is God pictured? Is God just, uh, you know, in, ancient ethereal concept to be found in the pages of an ancient book and we will read about him at, family, at, you know, at worship and then we will know no nothing more of him until you know, worship at night? Or is he pictured as an active, dynamic, eternally youthful, enthusiastic God? Also, how is the discipline of God portrayed in the family? You know, I, we have been through many, 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 many trials as a family through the years. And I remember like early on when we first moved to New Mexico when we were facing a lot of difficulties and our well was running dry and we were running out of money and all these different little things were happening. The parents were not like, oh, have mercy. What is happening to us? Maybe they were thinking that inside. I don't know. But they were not portraying that on the outside. They were portraying it as God is training us and we want to learn everything we can. And with that attitude, we should be like, oh yeah, you know, we need to learn our lessons. It wasn't like, oh boy, you know, look at all these things happening to us. And I think that portrayal of God, we children grew up thinking, you know, something rough is happening to our family right now. We can learn something from this. Not something rough is happening to our family. Oh, have mercy. How can this be? Why us? Why, Lord? Why are you doing this? It all depends on the way God is portrayed because children will love a lovable God if he is portrayed as he truly is. Relationships in the family, moving on. Back to the concept of being informed and engaged. Spending time together as a family of impossible importance. You never find a Fortune 500 CEO that does not spend time with his company, does not spend time looking at the affairs of his company. You don't find it. Likewise, you don't find a quote unquote Fortune 500 family. That's poor analogy, but you know what I'm saying? A useful, functional, emotionally healthy, dynamic, close family where they don't spend time with each other. It does not happen. Spending time listening, my, my mother referred to this, uh, setting up boundaries that cannot be overthrown, even if the world comes down. Children do not respect what they can overthrow. So if the parent says this is the way it's gonna be and the child knows that they can overthrow that boundary, the child is not going to respect the boundary and the child will not respect the boundary setter, which is usually the parent. Setting up solid boundaries that cannot be overthrown. Emotional security, which is what you want to see born in the children, emotional security is born of strong relationships. Strong relationships are born of love and respect. So that means we shower with love, shower with much love, and never, never, never allow the child to walk over the parent. 
And those two things produce emotional security. If a child knows that the parent loves them to death, and the child knows that even if the world comes down, they'll never be able to push their parent over, that child will love and respect the parent, and that parent will have almost unlimited influence over the child to do with them as they would like to train. Last, one of the last points, watch the input into the child's life. When I was uh, 1996, net 96, I was five years old. Mark Finley did net 96. I don't know how many of you watched that. Any hands in here? Yeah. All right, some people who watched net 96. I was five years old, and we watched net 96 every night. Well, there were children's programs also in the church, but the parents, and I'm not sure why, thought we should watch net 96. So we would we went we'd go to our church every night that was streaming it, and we would watch Mark Finley live from wherever he was. By the time Net96 was over, all we kids thought Mark Finley was the pink. It was like everything Mark Finley was amazing. We're very young, impressionable children. Now, growing up, we thought Mark Finley was a major role model in our life. What he did, his dedication, his life of sacrifice, this was major to us. However, it seems common in this day and age that Instead, that parents perhaps do not connect input to output, and then they make the common mistake of putting input before their children that they, don't exact, they wouldn't exactly want coming back out, but they don't, maybe perhaps don't totally connect it. And I can even see this in my own life when I don't connect input to output. But you cannot let your children watch SpongeBob and expect them to then come away from the TV and act like Mark Finley. There's a little bit of a disconnect there. So if, if a child watches SpongeBob, that's perhaps the choice of the parent. However, the expectation should not be, why aren't you acting you know, like Mark Finley? I mean, the, the parent probably wouldn't say that to the child, but why aren't you acting better? Why, aren't you, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you being so childish? Why are you being foolish? Why are you, you know, the input and the output are actually very intimately connected. So in a family's life, the role models, the people, the children see their parents honor and respect, the things that the children know their parents admire are going to have intense influence over the children. And at the same rate, if a child is watching SpongeBob, and I know that SpongeBob is out of, you know, out of uh, vogue now, but if a child is watching SpongeBob, then the child will grow up with SpongeBob as his role model. If the child is watching Mark Finley, the child will grow up with Mark Finley as his role model. And personally, I'd rather have Mark Finley be my child's role model. Nurturing passion in a child is all about the, the parents recognizing that the home is the training place for heroes. So the, and the parents need to um, display that to the children. When a parent talks in a way that they expect the child to be a hero of the cross someday, that they are excited about the potential they see in their child, that they know their child will do amazing things for the cross, the child immediately starts thinking, oh, well, you know, I should do this instead of this. And their choices start making, going in that direction. And I can see how my parents use that in our lives as children. Not that my parents were flawless by any means, but they set before us role models that they wanted us to emulate, and they, uh, they spoke to us in a way that they expected us to someday serve the Lord, to someday give our lives for him, to someday be willing to make great sacrifices for him. And that made a tremendous impact on our family. So you can nurture passion in children 
by having the passion yourself and talking about it a lot to your children. Okay, now goes the uh, particularly deliberated and awkward moments of having to switch the microphone around. So you're allowed 10 more seconds of recess. Take a nice deep breath. Man, where'd I put this thing? Okay, if you took a deep breath, now you have a little bit more oxygen saturation in your blood, and you're actually healthier than you were 10 seconds ago. So with that in mind, let's uh, go ahead and get into our last point, um, which is commence. We've gone over invest, we've gone over nurture, and now commence. And I believe, friends, that this is, this is one of the most important parts of the whole picture. Okay? Let's see our little next slide here. Commence. The purpose for family existence. The reason God places us here on this earth as individuals, as family members, is to spread the gospel to this world. To show, to live love, and to show love to those that are around us, right? So the whole purpose for the, for the, um, the investment, for the nurture in this family is so that we can, we can come to the place as a family where we are ready to go and impact the world for Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of everything. Sometimes people get a little bit mixed up and they like become so family-centric and it's like everything is about saving ourselves, right? Oh, I need to go to heaven. I need to be ready to go to heaven. And so all we ever do all of our lives long is get ready to go to heaven. And we completely forget about the fact that God wants us to be ready to go to heaven so that we can get all of our neighbors and all those that are, are dying in darkness around us to go with us. Amen? That's the whole point of our existence here. And we might be thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a missionary. I'm not a, uh, you know, literature evangelist. I just, I just want to go to heaven. Friends, the responsibility rests equally upon all of us. There's a quote in, oh, I don't have the quote. It's up here. In the Ministry of Healing, page 148, and it says, To everyone who becomes a partaker of his grace, the Lord appoints a work for others. Individually, we are to stand in our lot and place, saying, Here I am, send me. Upon the minister of the word, the missionary nurse, the Christian physician, the individual Christian, whether he be merchant or farmer, professional man or mechanic, the responsibility rests upon all. It is our work to reveal to men the gospel of their salvation. Every enterprise in which we engage should be a means to this end. So this, this quote here might not actually have had your profession in the list. But I think what Ellen White is trying to convey here is that no matter what we are, no matter what we're doing, we are responsible through our every action to be conveying to men the gospel of their salvation. Amen? That is a very reason for existence on this earth. So we are called, friends, to do more than just simply get ourselves to heaven. The gospel needs, us, the gospel needs um, soldiers. You and I, soldiers in this, in this Christian battle, who are passionate about the gospel, who are passionate about spreading and sharing God's love with those that are around us. But you know, friends, um, well, here, this is the success equation. Commitment and faithfulness equal greatness. 
So friends, we need to be committed to the cause that we are involved in. We're talking about families here. We're talking about, about building a fully functional family that is ready to go out and, and impact the world. A family whose mission field is the world, right? So we're committed to the cause. We're committed to the gospel, to spreading Christ Jesus. We need to be faithful in every activity that is involved in that. And if we do that, friends, God will use us in a great way in his work. Amen? A great way. So, you know, our family has been privileged. We have, um, we have been privileged to have many different opportunities now as, as we have grown up and we are um, kind of branching out. We're, not, we're no longer 10 and 12 and et cetera, to have many amazing opportunities for service. And, uh, you know, I'm so blessed um, that I have also had opportunities to, to branch out and to go, well, our whole family, actually, we've gone all over the world speaking and, and, and preaching the gospel and, and um, practical Christianity, etc. But I remember um, one, one particular instance, the Lord has, has blessed me over the last year, I would say, with, with more responsibilities where I'm just traveling on my own, by myself. Now, I love travel, okay? I love traveling. We travel all the time, and I really enjoy it, but you have to understand that I'm um, kind of a uh, personable, well, I, I'd like to call myself personable. <laughs> Maybe the better word is, I like people, okay? I like my friends. So I love visiting with my friends. And... Um, I remember times where, where I was, was off on a mission somewhere, and it was, it was difficult for me because of that, that feeling of loneliness when you're the only one. And I, something re came to me, and, and I realized that, that labor for God, it requires more than just the actions of the hands. Friends, if, if we, we need to have a heart for service. Passion for service for God needs to burn and well out of our hearts. And if it's that case, then, then work for God, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how lonely the circumstances or, or hard, it's going to be pure joy. Uh, just this last April, um, I had the privilege and opportunity of traveling to Europe uh, for some business there, uh, for GYC, actually. And it was... The, just the timing of how things worked, it happened to be at a weekend where my entire family was going to a meeting place where like all of my friends attend this meeting. And it's like once a year, and I absolutely love going there because as I said at the beginning, I'm a, I, I, like, I like my friends, I like visiting with them, et cetera, and we don't always have that opportunity. Um, we do have opportunity to visit with lots of people around the world, but not necessarily those that I would call, well, you all are my friends but not my close friends, right? So here, here we are, and, um, well, maybe some of you are, <laughs> whatever. Okay, I'll just stop before I like, totally bury myself. Okay, so I found myself, when my family was at this, this, uh, this meeting place, I found myself getting on a plane, and I was traveling across to Europe, and, and there was gonna be absolutely no Americans traveling with me. There were gonna be no Americans where I was going. It was just me surrounded by this huge continent of, of uh, Europeans, which I love Europeans, but most of them, you know, like, don't speak English very well. Actually, most of them do speak English, but they were speaking other languages around me. So here I am feeling extremely isolated, extremely lonely, and it's just like, you know, day after day I'm going through, traveling around, doing all this kind of stuff, and I might be riding in a train past a beautiful site, but to me, 
the point of beauty is being able to share it with somebody. So I'm having this experience, and I realized coming through that it was like the Lord was saying, no, 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 no. Don't allow this beautiful opportunity to become mechanical service. This, this is, as I said, this, is, this should be a joyous time. The Lord wants to fill us with complete joy when we are in service to him. And so I realized that I needed to have, I needed to pray and ask God to give me that, that burning passion that's welling up in my heart. That, that quote that we read earlier, um, it, was, it had a little line that it says, here I am, send me. That's a reference to Isaiah when he was um, in that, having that experience, that encounter with God, and the, the temple is being filled with smoke, and then God says, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Isaiah was responding from an, an emotional heart level. His desire for service for God, his, his desire to, to raise his hand and say, I will go. It wasn't an intellectual. Well, it may, it may have been somewhat intellectual, but, but it was coming from Isaiah's heart. And friends, that's how service needs to be with us. That's how we need to respond to the gifts, the opportunities that God gives us to serve him. Now, you know, it, it may require sacrifice. It may require giving up of, you know, the young people's, the, the children's toys, of pleasures. But, you know, we're promised in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, though we may have to give up houses and lands, God will give us 100-fold in this life and eternal life in the life to come. Now, eternal life, friends, is like, that is the ultimate reward. So friends, we need to commence. We've, we invest in our young people. We nurture our young people. But then, as a family, we need to commence. Actually get our hands in the work with a heart connection. Having a heart that burns for the souls that are around us, even if it's not possible for us to touch them all in a lifetime. Friends, we can reach beyond our, our neighborhoods. We can reach beyond even the, the physical limitations of ourselves if we have that heart of service. If we allow God to come into us and to, and to spring forth and to spill out of us onto all those that are around us. And, and friends, I believe that that is ultimately God's desire for all of us as individuals and as families today. So I want to talk about a different aspect of commencement, and that is that of launching and starting new homes. You know, it's a well-known principle that seeds planted are seeds multiplied. And I love to look at a, a field of grain that's ripening, but you know that field of grain has a potential for sowing many, many more fields of grain of that same size because all of those slender stalks those fully ripened heads contain multiple seeds that can be just increase and spread the blessing all over the world. And I believe it's the same way with families. You know, in our families, as parents um, give their lives to God, commit themselves to Him, and the fruit of the Spirit begins to work in and through their lives and affect and shape the lives of their children, they have the potential for sending children out into the world to do the work of God and to establish multiple homes that can be a blessing. And I've, I've been thankful, very thankful for the opportunity to be raised in a home where God is loved 
you know, I think we've said multiple times that we recognize the fact that we've made many mistakes. We are not perfect, but we are striving, friends. We are striving by God's grace to honor him, to please him, and to grow in him. I think that it's a really refreshing thing as we read about the line of the evil kings of Israel to come across this verse in 2 Kings 22, verse 2, that says, Josiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. How beautiful a thing it must be for God to be able to look down at hearts and homes and see that the children are choosing to serve and love and honor him just as their parents were. You know, it's, it's never too late to start. There are many young people who were not raised in a home where God was honored, who've not had that privilege and blessing, but it is never too late to start. We can start right now to build that home that brings honor and glory to God. But I think it's a special privilege to be able to not have to start from scratch, but actually be able to add stones to a foundation that has already been established. And so that is what the stage of life that I am in, my, my sister mentioned, that I am soon to be married. I'm very, very excited. And you know, as I've been um, talking to my fiance about um, building and establishing a home where God is honored, I've recognized that the work of preparation for, for launching and raising a godly family starts way before you enter this stage of life. And it begins, you know, when you're young. I remember, oh, there's, there's many things to do to prepare for, for um, building a home. But I remember when we were really small, our mother would take us into the kitchen and teach us how to do tasks, you know, cooking meals and doing laundry and all those things, which would have been much faster for her to have done herself. But she took the time to train us and to teach us. I remember in particular, when we moved to New Mexico, we children by that time had learned how to make bread, and we were the bread makers in the family. And we didn't recognize the fact that there's a huge difference between baking bread at almost sea level where we were in Michigan to going to 7,800 feet. And we made batch after batch of flopped bread. I mean, it was, it was really, really bad. It was the kind of bread that if you've read councils on diets and foods, Ellen White talks about you know, the pigs died when they ate that kind of bread. <laughs> That's how it was. But we were trying, and our mother got into the kitchen with us, and we were experimenting together and trying to figure this out. And you know, my mother is um, she's from Cuba, and it really hurts her to throw away food. And so we just had lines and lines of these loaves that were kind of done on the outside, but totally goo on the inside. And we were shaving out the outside edges, and, you know, twice baking them, eating Zweibach so we didn't have to waste everything. But that really stands out in my mind. She was there with us. She was teaching us. And I remember my parents would take us to the neighbors, to the little old lady, stand by her bed, sing to her, learn how to reach out to people's hearts. And so this training, physical, mental, spiritual, taught us to come to the place where, you know, I, I know I still have many things to learn, but I feel like I do know how to run a home. I feel I, I have a burden and a passion for reaching out to people. I love people. I love to connect with people. And I really, really appreciate that. So now as I come to this stage of life, don't you like my picture? I like my picture. <laughs> you know, as we come to this stage of life as young people and we are preparing to partner ourselves for life to someone, I really believe that this is such an important decision. And I believe that the devil just 
seeks to derail young people and is actually very successful in this area of life, even for good-hearted young people that want to make the right choice. Because we come to this point in life and it seems like no matter how mature we are or how good our intentions, it's very easy not to see things as clearly as you are able to see things when you're not really liking somebody. And so I have really, really deeply appreciated uh, the input that my family has had in my life as I've entered into this stage. You know, we want to partner our lives with someone who is fully given to God, who wants to build a home that pleases him, who's on the same page with us spiritually, and remaining open to counsel to all the young people out there. I have to say, that is so vital for making a proper choice when it comes to this. Uh, I, interestingly enough, have found that even though for many years I've been open to the counsel of my parents and godly mentors in my life and the input of my siblings, that even I, in this stage of life, have found that the temptation is to think that I'm the one who can see the clearest because I'm the closest to the situation. No, I have, I have been able to see, even now, even when in the midst of things I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> I've been able to see the blessing of having godly counsel. And it has required humility on my part many times to sit down and say, okay, I, I want to hear what you have to say about this. I, I appreciate and value what you have to say. And my, my family has been so wonderful and so deeply invested. And I am so thankful. And so building a home, looking forward to building a home with Luke where God is honored is, is just a joy and a delight. And this season of life, which can be uh, highly emotional and dramatic, does not have to be so. It can be a delight, and it has been a delight. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to what God has in store. I want to build a home that shines as a light in darkness. And I really believe that the best preparation we can do to, to build homes like these is to learn to love God right now where we are, to learn how to surrender our lives to him, you know, the Bible says in Romans 12, 10, be kindly affectioned one to another in brotherly love, with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Right now, in my home, in, in the years past, in the months, even right now, it's a great preparation for me with my parents and my siblings to learn how to honor someone, how to love, how to be kind, how to prefer them above myself. And I'm sure that Luke will appreciate all the practice that I've had on my family in this particular area. Because learning to love someone unselfishly is the foundation for a happy home. I look forward to taking the work of God, to taking his light and his love to people who do not know him, to going to places that we have never been able to go as a family. I look forward to seeing what God has in store as we, as the next generation, build homes that please him. And I want to end with this beautiful psalm that is full of uh, promises that I believe God made, not just to ancient Israel, but to us today as spiritual Israel. And it says, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel.
Well, we've come to the close of our seminar. We just want to thank you for taking the time to be with us. If you have any questions, we'd be happy to answer them. It'll be probably after we have closed here for the next program that we need to go to. We just want to close with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Fathers, I know that you want each of our families to be a family that rightly represents you. We know that the place to start is for each of one, each of us to determine in our hearts that we will surrender ourselves to you. And in so doing, Lord, we will have ears to hear what you have to teach us, as you have promised that you will lead us and guide us and instruct us in the way that we need to go. So I pray for each family here. I pray for those who are considering having a family. I pray for those who have families but who have made choices in the past that have resulted in fragmentation, that you can be our hope. You can be the glue that binds each of our hearts and that you can teach us how we can reach into our families, those who may have already left our homes, and that we can reconnect with them in a new way, in an enriching way, in a way that brings hope and restoration. Thank you, Lord, for the precious opportunity that you give us to go forward in your grace, which is more than sufficient. Thank you for hearing our prayer this day as we go forward in your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.